Hello, and welcome to Beth Takoon and this series called Spiritual Seasons, where we are diving into the weekly Torah portions through the lens of the bigger pattern of salvation we find in the yearly calendar. This week we are in Parsha Kitetze from the middle of Deuteronomy 21 through chapter 25. Well, this month we are encouraged to increase in our tzedakah, our giving, so I've been trying to include a snapshot or two of generous people in these teachings, and I'll go ahead and start that way today. This one is about a quiet giver, which are the best kind, I think. It says, in 1995, the nation was stunned when news broke that an elderly woman named Osceola McCarty had donated $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi for their scholarship fund. This 87-year-old woman had been forced to drop out of school in the sixth grade to care for her family. For more than 60 years, she made a living washing clothes for hire in Hattiesburg, Mississippi saving as much as she could from her meager pay. She wanted others to have the opportunity for the education she never received, so she gave away the money she had saved for so many years. Well, you know, I bet the fact that Miss McCarty was saving all that money for a good cause gave her a lot of strength and even joy in the difficult work she did all those years. There's work, and then there's work, for the good of the world, and they are two very different things. Well, before we get into our Torah portion today, I want to bring out a few ideas for the month of Elul that we weren't able to get to last week. By way of quick review first, though, last week we talked about how Elul, which is the sixth month, means harvest in the original Akkadian language. And that Elul is considered a month in which the ball is in our court to act, so to speak. The hush of the month is, in fact, action. And the mazal is Virgo, the virgin. All of these taken together lead us to the big emphasis of Elul, teshuva, repentance. Repentance is the big harvest that the journey from the first month has been leading to. So listen carefully to this now. Shuvah is how the fallen bride becomes a virgin again. Repentance is how the fallen bride becomes a virgin again. So this is not possible in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm it is possible to go back to that earlier state of innocence by God's grace through the blood of Yeshua the Messiah. There's a great power in repentance And the time for repentance is now in Elul. So what is repentance? Classically, there are three ingredients to genuine return, which is what shuva means. So these three ingredients. One, regret of a misdeed. Two, the decision to change. And three, the verbal expression of one's sins. So again, these three aspects to repentance are regret for the misdeed, the decision to change, and the verbal expression of the sin. And we can add to that that we show that our repentance is genuine by beginning to make the changes right away, even now. So this is the business we are to be about now, 
and that God is providing a special ability for us to do now to feel regret for how it is that we have failed to hit the mark in our walk to purpose to change and to give verbal expression to the sin leading to the beginning of change even now. So this is a serious business in Elul and many do not take advantage of the month in this way. The enemy within really fights this business. So let's note that um, this week our portion Kitetse begins and ends with the context of battle, of war. The portion begins when you go out to war and this is where we get the name of the portion when you go out. Doing teshuva is like doing battle. It's like making war against our enemies within, right? Repentance is like a kind of internal battle. And uh, the enemies within will fight. Uh, they'll fight with us now by saying, you don't have time to do this. How are you going to work this into your life, right? Um, you don't have the need for this. You're doing teshuva all the time anyway. Uh, and this is true, but understand that God has specially designed the calendar to help us do certain kinds of spiritual work in certain seasons of the year. There are just times when it's easier to do such and such work than other times in the year. And so there's a time designed for sowing and a time designed for watering and a time designed for reaping. We can and should be doing teshuva constantly. But now in the season specially designed for it is when God is just giving us a little extra oomph to be able to do repentance. It is life for us to get in line with God's design. We're going to go through these seasons one way or the other, but we can either do it knowing a little bit about what God's purpose is for this season or not. And so, in a way, it's a bit about efficiency in our walk with Him. So, I guess my word for the moment is show no mercy to those enemies that would pull you away from the joyous work of Teshuvah now. And I say joyous, which is maybe not a word we would, you know, be quick to apply to the work of doing repentance in return, but listen to Yeshua's words in Luke 15. He says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And there is much joy here too inwardly, not just in heaven with the angels above, but inwardly in the one who repents. And so let's not lose track of the joy in this season too. We always have to, no matter what the work of the season is, joy needs to be a part of it. And um, one more practical thought here on the process of repentance in general. This is also a time to focus on extending forgiveness to others, knowing that we will be judged with the measure by which we judge others. You want to be forgiven? Well, forgive. Don't be like the unforgiving servant who was relieved of a huge debt, you know, after begging, but turned right around and wouldn't forgive those 
who were indebted to him. It didn't end well for that unforgiving servant. Well, let's continue now on the topic of the month of Elul with two big ideas we have yet to mention connected to the month. The idea that Elul, so firstly, the idea that Elul is also an acronym and the concept that the king is in the field now. So according to the rabbis, the four letters that spell Elul are an acronym for a phrase from the Song of Solomon. The phrase is, I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. Ani ladodi vadodi li. And so what is this about? You know, why is this connected to the very letters that make up the, the name of the month? I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. Well, in short, there's an affirmation of love happening in this month in two directions. So imagine you really messed up in a relationship. What's the first thing you do to start to repair the relationship? Well, you look at the one who wronged you and you say, do you still want me? It's like we're doing that now. And the answer we get back is the name of the month of Elul. Yes, you are still my choice. You are still the one. You are my beloved and you are mine, and I am yours. So this affirming idea is at the very root of the month, which is a time for reestablishing the very foundation of our relationship with God. Well, moving on now to the second idea, let's approach it by asking, so here we are in a season of introspection, right? Looking inward and examining, and repentance and action, making changes. But why should we think we're going to do any better this time around? You know, unless God does a deep work of grace in us, aren't we the same people? Well, in fact, this is true. Uh, But this deep work we need him to do is coming in the month of Tishrei, the seventh month, the month that includes Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. It's a work that changes the heart in the seventh month. And that's what we really need. But that's next month. And so what about now? By what power do we begin to change now in this preparatory month of Elul? Well, this brings us to the idea that the king is in the field, which is a metaphor used by the altar Rebbe to describe how God relates to us in the month of Elul. It's in the month of Elul that that he says God is in the field. Well, or the king is in the field. The connections here, especially for a believer familiar with the apostolic scriptures, are fascinating, I think. So normally to see a king, to have an audience with a king, we might say you have to be put on a list and you have to wait for the appropriate time. And most people can never get on that list. But what happens if one day the king decides to put on street clothes and slip out of the castle and wander into the fields? The common folk might hear about that. And one by one, like sheep that go to greet the shepherd, they go out to the field to see him and talk with him and tell him about their needs, maybe. In other words, Even though we've been talking about this rift in our relationship that has opened 
over the summer, right? The whole three weeks, Tishbav, all of that. And the set time for healing is still some weeks away in Tishrei. God makes himself accessible even now to help us in the process of Teshuvah, to help us prepare for the coming outpouring of his grace. Repentance is tough. It's hard work. But he does not leave us without help. The rabbis are saying that he is here with us already in Elul, beside us, helping us, but in another form. And that's key. And so in the parable, he's wearing the clothes of a commoner, and he's approachable, and he has a smile on his face even. But in the same way that he leaves the castle to go to the field, so do we have to leave our homes to go meet him in the field now. So there's also initiative on our part and some work and some risk involved in going to meet him now. And so we, and we take the first steps in that, in that return process, in that teshuva process. Um, maybe you could say we go out, the, out to the field first and he comes to meet us there. Well, I believe what the rabbis are honing in on here in talking about the king in the field is clearly verified in a wonderful way in the apostolic scriptures. And by combining the Jewish and the Christian perspectives, we get the fuller picture. And so it goes like this. We are in the lead up to God's work of restoration through Yeshua in Tishrei. And if we look into the Gospels at the actual coming of the Messiah, what happens just before Yeshua begins his earthly ministry, we, we see that, what's happening just before he comes in the Gospels there. And what is it? And what is it that he uses to help prepare the minds and the hearts of the people? Well, God sends a person to prepare, to prepare the way for Yeshua, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, And what is John's message? It is the message of Elul, right? Elul comes before Tishrei. And before the ministry of Yeshua comes John the Baptist. And what is John the Baptist's message? His message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So in a way, John the Baptist is a picture of the king leaving the palace and entering the field of this world and the field of the human heart. Well, let's go one step further, because John the Baptist was a person who couldn't quite enter the heart, um, although his words could. John the Baptist is also not quite the king, and he's not here with us today. But John the Baptist himself pictures someone else who, in fact, is with us today. And so Grant has taught before about the many connections between John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit. John pictures the work of the Holy Spirit, which prepares human hearts for the arrival of the Messiah. The Spirit is active in different ways, at different phases in the life of the believer. And one of these ways is as the God-given helper that prepares us for the visitation of the Messiah. In John, we read, in the Gospel of John, we read that the Spirit helps in this way by bringing conviction Conviction concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
And so that's in chapter 16 of John. And so we, here we have this rabbinic teaching that the king is in the field in the month of Elul, uh, the month before the judgment in Tishrei. And the king is said to help us with repentance, which is also what the Holy Spirit does. Here's what we can learn from all these connections. God specially provides his spirit at this time to help us repent, to help us lay the foundation for the coming of his son. Again, as we walk through this hot and sunny wilderness of the summer, God is specially reaching out to us now through the Holy Spirit, helping us in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So, And Moses really is a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit there in the wilderness. And we are now closing out the wilderness phase in the calendar. And Joshua is about to take over to lead us into the land of promise. Joshua is about to take over for Moses. But right now we're still in that, in the last bit of of the phase of Moses in this wilderness phase of summer. So it's quite wonderful to see what the rabbis have discerned here in the calendar and to marry to that the fullness of Scripture. Elul has repentance at its root, say the rabbis. The king is in the field, say the rabbis. The ten days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur are are about judgment, say the rabbis. And if you had to look through the Scripture to find all those ideas, It doesn't emerge so quickly. It's just what the rabbis have said. And so we wonder, where are they getting these statements from? And too often we just, because we don't see it right away, we just ignore it. But yet, you know, here again, we see that these insights not only align with the apostolic scriptures, but they also help us to to see the calendar and, and to walk out the Moedim um, in a fuller way. Because what they're adding in that we're at first like, where do they get this from? It has to do here with the calendar. And it's just beautiful to see when it comes together. And they illuminate each other. These, these teachings of the rabbis and scripture and all of scripture, it all just, the one illuminates the other. So, the king is in the field in Elul, say the rabbis, and the followers of Yeshua should understand, embrace the work of the Holy Spirit now. It will lead you in the process of repentance. God is here with us, but in a different form. And the marriage of the lamb to his bride is coming. Let's get ready for the wedding now. Well, now that our uh, time is half gone, you know, there's just so much to Elul. Um, It's just a beautiful month, but it's a little bit in the shadow of the bigger Tishrei to come, but in its own right, it just has a lot of beauty and action in it. But um, let's go ahead and get to Kitetze now. As I mentioned, Kitetze means when you go out. And it's taken from the first verse, which reads, When you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God gives them into your hand, and you take them captive, 
And then it goes on from there to describe the process for marrying a captive woman. So again, when you go out, here is in the context of war, and we find war once again at the end of the portion with the commands to remember what Amalek did to you when you were leaving Egypt and to blot out the memory of Amalek. So we have war again at the beginning and the end. Kitetze contains 31 topics and over 70 commandments, more commandments than any other portion. And so it's a special portion in that way. Many of the topics involved um, uh, involve family interactions and specifically marital interactions. And so these involving family and marriage include, I'll just go ahead and list them here, the procedure for marrying a captive woman comes first, inheritance rights of the firstborn, the rebellious son, judicial procedures for adultery and rape and for the husband who falsely accuses his wife, intermarriage with certain uh, groups of people, groups that are allowed to come into Israel at what generation, etc. Laws of divorce and leveret marriage. When, um, when a brother dies and the other brother is to marry um, his wife, to raise up an heir for him with his name. So while there is an emphasis here on marriage and family, there are many other types of topics here too, many other kinds of topics, including burial of one hanged on a tree, returning lost animals and objects, sending away the mother bird when taking eggs, constructing a safety fence on a roof, forbidden mixing of animals and plants, purity of a military camp, the prohibition on returning an escaped slave, the duty to pay a worker on time, laws regarding debtors and charging interest, and then finally we have Amalek. Well, let's think now about how Kitese fits into the flow of the portions and into the calendar. We're really getting into the nitty-gritty here with Kitese, and this makes sense because we're moving toward an end point. So this is the last portion that is focused on really just listing out the commandments. The next portion is largely made up of blessings and curses. And from there, the ending chapters of Deuteronomy describe Moses' final actions and his parting words. One thing we always uh, notice when we get to, uh, you know, approaching the end of the development process. And again, here we're kind of reaching the end of kind of the long listing of Torah commandments. And so we're at a kind of an ending point, not completely at the end, but a, a kind of ending point. And, and so we, we need to look there for what we see at the end of the development process. And, and often and, and always really, what we see at the end is this branching, this branching into details tangible details and specifics. Like we see, for example, in the, the book of Esther's description of the great party of the Persian king and, uh, you know, the curtains and the floor tiles and the kinds of dishes, you know. There's just this um, explosion of details as we're getting near the end of a development process. 
And we read Esther at the end of the year in the 12th month, especially during Purim. And um, so what's happening at the end is that the ideas that uh, the light of um, truth that has been big and bright and not so defined, you know, that really that starts at the very beginning, this diffuse light that really doesn't have a lot of definition all this time throughout the cycle of development. It's been getting more and more concrete. And we really see that at the end as the light is, this truth is applied to all these little areas of life. And so all the little mundane areas of this world and our day-to-day human lives need to be elevated to serve spiritual purposes. So at the end of the salvation pattern, we're reaching down deep into the nitty-gritty details of life and putting those to use as vessels for holiness. And so speaking of the mundane in this uh, portion, for example, we have the command regarding soldiers covering their waist when they are out in the wilds and have to relieve themselves. And why is it important for them to do that? Because God walks through the camp and it needs to be an elevated place, a refined place. And so what this commandment does is raise the level of a mundane military camp to a holy place where God dwells. And it takes the very routine matter of relieving oneself and elevates that behavior too by making it an act that needs to align with a commandment of God. And so it's not just the act of any animal out there in the wild. Honoring this commandment makes that very commonplace part of of life a means of maintaining relationship with our Creator. And no part of life is off limits here, as we can see with this example. All of these um, areas of life are meant to impact our relationship with God and with other people. And so these details, each of these commandments in this great list of commandments are not to be taken lightly. They are like gems in a crown. And if we think a bit more into this example of the military camp, there's really more there than just having a pure camp. Underneath is the idea that we should go through a little extra trouble, put ourselves through a little extra trouble to spare others from having to deal with our mess. What kind of camp does God feel comfortable in? It's not just one that is clean, although that is true. It's a camp where the soldiers are thinking of the needs of each other. A place where brother shows selfless love to brother. And this idea of selfless love or self-sacrificial love that puts others first and self second brings us to the real root of how we put all the nitty-gritty of life to work for spiritual purposes. It's about showing love to others. If we're thinking about how, how can this aspect, how can I walk this out according to the Torah and according to God's ways and use it for spiritual purposes, we need to be asking, well, how do I show love through this? How do I put myself second and others first? And so when we do that, 
we welcome God to dwell in our midst. So as we reach a place of maturity, we're seeing more and more how we can use every aspect of our lives and every resource and every mundane action as a way to show love to others. That is what all of this physical stuff is meant to be used for. And self-sacrificial love is really at the root of each of these commandments in this list that uh, begins to bring Moses' great recitation of the Torah to a close. Grant has boiled down this list of commandments in Kitetse to the single connecting idea of respect for others. That's what he saw when he looked at this list in Kitetse. And in my mind, um, respect for others is another way to say love for others. I put myself second and you first. And this is the essence of showing respect for others. To give a few more examples here of selfless love at the root of these commandments, we read in Kitetse that if the firstborn boy is from a lesser loved wife, you still treat him fairly as the firstborn, even if your desire is to bless the son of the loved wife. It says that you go out of your way, okay, another commandment, to return a lost animal or object, right? I have to put myself second. This was not in my plan. Someone else let their animal get away, but I need to do the right thing right now in this moment and put my interests second and put their interests first. It says you pay money to make your rooftop safe. It says that if you take a poor man's cloak as a pledge, return it to him before the sun goes down because he needs it to stay warm at night. And so again, self-sacrificial love is the root of each of these specific commandments because it's the root of the Torah and the goal of our spiritual journey, what we're coming to at the end, this expression of love through the details of life. And let me mention here that our calendar context for reading through all these commandments in Elul is that we are now digging into the nitty-gritty details of our lives. Last week, I actually encouraged you to make a list of the different areas of your life that you're going to weigh now in Elul. And um, we're trying to figure out how we can walk better in love in each of these areas, in each of these details. And so we're doing that, um, leading to repentance. And so at the root of our process for Teshuvah is the question, how can I be walking better in love for God and my neighbor? And Kitetse helps to train us to see the world through the eyes of the practical, how we walk out love in practical ways. That's our focus now. So here we are in the middle of Elul. We're reading Kitetse in the middle of Elul, and it's training us in how we use the various little nooks and crannies of life in a loving way for other people. And so let's turn now to looking at some details in the portion in terms of our overall discussion here. As I mentioned earlier, many of the commandments here are dealing with family relations and the interactions of husbands and their wives or uh, a man's interaction with uh, another woman, um, with a woman including unmarried women. And so there are a number of laws here specifically about sexual immorality. And so I want to address the men specifically for a minute in the context 
of the repentance of the month of Elul and, and our emphasis here on commandments regarding men and husbands. So I, I was part of a discussion recently with a rabbi in which another participant who was a woman was really struggling with the laws regarding taking a wife from the war captives. And as part of that conversation, the woman mentioned that it seemed like so many men in particular were really at war with their lower selves. And the rabbi told a story about, and she was really saying men versus women. Of course, all of us are at war with the flesh. But she was saying, boy, in her experience, it's, it's the men are struggling a lot. <laughs> and so um, the rabbi even chimed in with a story about how he did his... Uh, time in um, the Israeli army and how he happened to get into a unit that was almost entirely secular Jewish men. I'm not sure if they're doing that these days. They might be putting the religious men together in units more. But um, the one aspect of his military service that just really, really bothered him, and I'm sure there were many great things that he gained from that service, but he said there was one thing that really stuck out to him as bothering him, and it was how consumed the men's conversation was with crude joking and, and just constant sexual conversation. Men, we don't have to look very hard at our world today to see how very deeply men are struggling and how low particularly many men have sunk. And so here's what I want to say about this today. And we men should consider this in our process of repentance in Elul. When a man doesn't rise up to the lofty position of priest for the home, he will fall to a very low place, an animal place even. Either you put the male energies and, and giftings God has given you to work for good spiritual purposes, or those same energy, energies and giftings will drive you into the ground. There's no middle area here. By God's design, men are to feed and protect the family, both spiritually and physically. By being in the word daily and through prayer daily, men take in spiritual energy from God and are then able to pass that light and energy along to their wives and children. And so, men, you are that source of, of energy, you know, that, that flows from God to your family. And also, by going out into the world to work, men are able to pass along a physical blessing to their families. And so men are, again, the channel in that way. And God gifts men with a kind of imagination and intellectual curiosity that helps him in a special way when he's digging into the Torah, for example. And two, men are also gifted with physical strengths to be able to protect and provide physically. But when these particular gifts that men are given are not put to use as they should be, they don't just go away. They don't necessarily just atrophy. They're, they're the part of your essential being as a man. So instead, they get turned to evil. And in the end, the ones who are supposed to be in a kind of elevated, right, intercessory role end up 
like I said, very low, like animals even, selfish and driven by the pursuit of pleasure and even using other people. And so, men, let's think about these ideas in the month of Elul as we evaluate our walks with the Lord. A big part of that is are we living up to um, the role, the intercessory and priestly role that we are to play in our families. Well, moving on now, as a final topic before we turn our focus to Yeshua, I want to open up um, one passage in particular according to the salvation pattern, again, in the light of uh, the repentance of the month. So the general concept here comes from a teaching by Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, and so the general concept, but not necessarily the details. I've kind of made some different applications. But I'll include a link to that teaching by Rabbi uh, Jacobson in the notes. And um, we can call this idea here, Four Ways to be Lost. And so here we're um, being informed in, in repentance by ways that we can get off track. And so it it comes out of the first three verses of chapter 22, Deuteronomy 22. And so listen for the four specifically named lost items here. It says, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey, or with his garment, or with any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. Well, in the order given, the specific lost items here are the ox, the sheep, the donkey, and the garment. So let's look at how each of these animals or objects is lacking balance, can get off track, can get lost. Each of them is meant to mirror to us human beings our own tendencies. And so first mentioned is the ox. The ox's great gift is its strength and ability to do work. Here, though, the ox has gone astray. It has become lost. And so let's think about what tendency is in the ox that we can sort of anthropomorphize, right? which is a big word to say, apply it to people, <laughs> so that, that we can um, see in ourselves a, a kind of sinful tendency. So first let's note that ox, um, which, you know, I kind of you know, wonder, what is an ox? How is that different from a cow or a bull? Well, ox just means a bull or a cow, male or female, that is trained to do work. And so I say male or female, but usually they're not females. They are castrated bulls. And so the castration makes them more compliant. Um, But the Hebrew word here, shore, can mean either ox or bull, right? An intact bull. So let's think in terms of a normal bull here as we're thinking about what the personality is that God gave them anyway. So bulls are actually usually calm and accommodating, but they can be prone to violent 
outburst. So you can never quite, no matter how much you've been working with a bull, um, according to those who work with bulls, that, that minute that you just take it for granted that this bull is, um, is passive, that's when it turns on you. And there are many deaths every year resulting from um, attacks by bulls. Um, and so they are prone to violent outbursts. And when you're dealing with a 1,000 or 2,000 pound animal even, these outbursts can be fatal. As we think about repentance in the month of Elul, let's recognize that we all have this capacity in us to be placid one moment and then suddenly lash out even violently. And uh, this is sin and an aspect of being lost. When this happens, when we have a failure and we lash out, we need to not let that experience go to waste, right? Don't let a sin go to waste. We need to track down the set of events that led to that moment and purpose to set up guardrails that will stop us from falling over that cliff again. And so all of this examination, how can I, how can I um, you know, divert that chain of events as it's happening? This is all part of teshuva. It's all part of repentance. Well, next is the sheep. So the first way, violent outbursts, all of us are capable of that. And we need to consider that in this month. Well, next is the sheep. Sheep are very social and compliant and productive animals in terms of seeing in them a tendency that in a human being would be sinful. Sheep are very timid. And this timidity leads to sheep not really expressing their own will, right? We say, when we say that someone is a sheep, it means they're just a follower. It's one thing to be, you know, kind of laid back and be willing to go with the flow and not put up a fuss. But it's another to just always be swept along with whatever movement surrounds you because you never want to stick out. You know, you never want to stick your head up a little bit. So as we repent in the month of Elul, let's think about how fear maybe is holding us back from expressing the unique will and personality that God has given us for building up the body. We could call this even the fear of man that causes us to maybe be a wallflower a lot. And so uh, for many of us, it's, it's just easier to sit back and never put ourselves forward and not express our own ideas. But the whole body loses when that happens. God didn't make you to just be a wallflower your whole life. And so that's an aspect of uh, fallen humanity that we need to consider in this month. Where can we be speaking up more? Where can we be taking the initiative more and expressing our, our will more? Well, next comes the donkey. The donkey is strong and intelligent. And in some ways, the donkey combines the best of the bull and the sheep. It can bear great burdens like a bull, but it also usually is very loyal and willing to be led like a sheep. And those who own donkeys say, once they know what they're supposed to do, you know, it might take a little while for them to learn. You can even walk away and leave them and let them 
you know, turn that millstone or whatever they're doing. They're happy to do that because they know what you want. Um, but, um, and the donkey is actually smarter than both the, the bull and the sheep probably. But we know that a special problem for the donkey is that every now and then it can just dig in its hooves and not move. <laughs> the problem of stubbornness. And uh, we've all seen the cartoons where the person is pulling on the donkey and it just won't go anywhere. So all of us can have a stubborn streak. And as we repent in the month of Elul, let's think about how it is that we have been stubborn to a fault and what we need to do to change that. Maybe Has God been maybe tapping us on the shoulder and um, with a particular message but we've been just diligently and stubbornly, you know, putting the blinders on. I don't see that. I don't see that, you know, and ignoring it, maybe. Well, <clears throat> lastly, we have the garment, which seems quite different from the other three. Well, um, clothing can be quite costly, you know, maybe as costly as a sheep. And it can be beautiful and expressive of the, the person inside the clothing. Our clothes are a kind of outgrowth of our souls. And so, what possible problem could a lost article of clothing have? Well, clothing is different from the others in that it, um, there's no life in it, particularly when it's lost, right, and laying there on the ground. In terms of repentance, we can think of the lost article of clothing as the parts of our world that God has entrusted to us that we are not putting to use for him. We have failed to breathe life into them by using them for spiritual purposes. And so think now about what you have been given in terms of talents and physical blessings and resources that you have not activated for good purposes and have effectively cast aside and maybe even forgotten about. And, and repent of that and come up with a plan to fill up those neg neglected places with life, with the spirit of life. And so a couple of quick points now about these lost objects in general. The root of the problem for each of the three living things, so the animals, right, the bull and the sheep and the donkey, really their problems are all three rooted in fear, we especially talked about that with the sheep, but all three of them. The bull reacts violently when it is afraid. The sheep's timidity is rooted in fear, as we said. The donkey, too, um, owners of donkeys apparently say, in those moments when they just dig in and are stubborn, it's because they're afraid. Maybe their eyes are not able to process what's in front of them, and on the path, and they're afraid of a snake or something. And they just, they just won't budge, despite what their owners do. Well, it's fear. And fear is the great life killer. Fear is the root of much sin in our lives. And so in this month of repentance, let's focus on how fear holds us back in our walk with the Lord. Well, lastly here, notice that these lost objects occur in a certain order that it seems to me 
um, an order that is familiar to us as we study God's pattern of salvation. We find this pattern on every level. And here in a small list of lost objects, we see it again. So these objects are arranged from the physical to the spiritual in this case. So the reverse of the order we are normally emphasizing. The bull's problem is one of brute physicality and instinct. The sheep's problem is especially an emotional one. The sheep, the sheep being um, most centered on fear of these. Sheep are uh, a bit intellectually challenged too, we could say. The donkey's problem is not intellect, but willfulness. The will being a, really a rather high aspect of the soul. And the garment's problem is that it lacks the spirit of life, the breath of life, the spiritual foundation. So again, we can see here an arrangement from low to high, you know, this this brute physicality of the bull, the fear of the sheep, the willfulness of the donkey, just the lack of the spirit of life in in the article of clothing. Well, lastly today, uh, by way of a connection to Yeshua, um, I want to just read the Haftarah portion, which is not very long this week. It's one of the seven Haftarot of consolation, and it's taken from Isaiah 54. So this Haftarah is strongly connected to Yeshua because it is preceded by what my Bible labels in chapter 52, the exalted servant, uh, which is clearly messianic and talks about the Messiah's appearance being marred. And this is followed by the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. So that was Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, the famous chapter of the suffering servant, which speaks of the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, stricken for our transgressions. And so these two lead us into this week's Haftarah, which turns away from the stricken Messiah to address Israel. And so it begins, shout for joy, O barren one. And so we don't get to the exaltation and victory and joy of Isaiah 54 without passing through the suffering of the Messiah in Isaiah 52 and 53. So as I read the Haftar now in 54, and, and with this last topic of the lost garment in view, think about the potential you have been given that has not manifested in your life, that you have not manifested because of fear and pride and mistakes that have interfered. So you can even pause the video now to spend a moment thinking about the unfulfilled potential in your life. So I'll give you a second to do that. And then as we continue now, as you listen to the Haftarah, understand that the Messiah, the Messiah has made the way for both the return to an innocent state and for that um, unrealized potential to be fulfilled. Right? And so it says this in Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. 
Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and, uh, and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Well, that's all for today. May the Lord bless us with the gift of repentance in the month of Elul. May he grant us a special sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit now that is leading us and helping us to repent. May he grant us the great blessing of being able to utilize every mundane thing for self-sacrificial spiritual purposes, for love. And may we rise up to be the people he has made us to be. Shalom.